This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and thank you for downloading and subscribing. I am that nerd dad, Joe Williamson, and this is that nerd dad podcast. Uh, This is... This is the episode um, that I have been waiting for with respect to all of my guests previously. (laughs) Um, uh, Today's guest is Brent Butt. And um, look, I'm going to save how I feel about that sentence for the end, for the outro, after my interview with Brent Butt. Um, But needless to say, this is a... uh, a bucket list type conversation. So I'm going to throw to that now before I start blubbering. I'll save the blubbering for after the conversation because maybe you tuned in for the first time ever to hear Brent Butt. You don't necessarily want to hear me. Uh, You don't know who I am yet. We'll save that for after. So if you enjoy the conversation with Brent Butt, stick around. You'll hear me gush about why this is so important to me. Um, Here it is. Everyone, I am honored to have someone. I I told him just off air a second ago. I, I you know a bit of an idolizing situation here, and I apologize if I start to fanboy a little bit. But my guest today is Brent Butt. Brent, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, you know, idolizing is pretty heavy, heavy term. But you know, weirdly, I'll take it. There you go. Sure, well, I'll take it. I mean, you're a Canadian icon. How's that feel, Canadian icon? <laughs> uh, I guess. It feels good. Sure. It's all right. Uh, okay. So in the, in I the past, I mean, in, in those terms, so it's hard to wrap my head around. Well, it'd be weird if you walked around going, yeah, I'm a Canadian icon. That's me. I think of myself as a guy who has a bunch of yard work to get done before the snow flies. That's what, that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> well, it's funny. You've, okay. So let's start there. Um, one of the questions I actually wrote down because I, just in case I got flummoxed and didn't remember was, What's it like being someone that I think Canadians view as like their neighbor? I feel like everyone feels like they know you. So is it weird that the people come up and they feel like they have this association and familiarity with you right off the bat? Um, it can be. It, it, it all depends how people uh, deal with that. It's 99.9% of it is terrific. I like having that connection with people. There's, you know, the the odd, strange encounter where somebody comes up and, you know, just starts talking, asking you about really personal stuff. And you're like, <laughs> we've never met. Why are you asking me that kind of stuff? Um, but really I've often said this, you know, the only, the only exchange that I, that I'm not keen on is there's a certain breed of person that feels the best way to start a conversation is to slap you on the back as hard as they can. <laughs> Aside from that, I'm pretty much okay with everything else, but there's, yeah, the, the just a certain subset of humans that just walk up, blindside you by slapping you in the back. Hey, how are you? And you're like, uh, you know, you just try not to swing around and bust their jaw. You know, that's the only one that I have a hard time with. Everything else is fine. 
Well, that's that's a broad statement. You're going to get an unexpected hug from someone as a result of that, <laughs> that comment. Hugs can be strange too. Like there are okay. a lot of people that are like, you don't know them from Adam, they come up and they just want to hug you right away. And to me, a hug has always been, I've held hugs to be sort of meaningful and a, a shared moment between two close people, you know, um, or to provide specific comfort to somebody. And just walk up and hug a total stranger seems weird to me you know i'm not one to judge but that's weird <laughs> now you're, you're obviously kind of making the rounds uh to promote your book i'm going to show it here and i've also got it in front of me here uh the huge number go. one bestseller i've number also got one uh, national my copy. bestseller i know right? hard copy right there beautiful got it proof that i'm a real fan i actually bought a copy uh, well, i, I didn't, just, didn't just you rip off the image you could have pinched that from your local bookstore i haven't seen a receipt yet <laughs> and then cross-reference that with your visa statement i'm sure you get all that information as a as a publisher as a writer yeah. now um it so number one in. book number one tv show at one point in time uh, i'm pretty sure corner gas the movie opened number one so we've got uh, three pretty major mediums there. When is the album coming? When is the Brent Butt album coming? Yeah. Well, you know, there's been talk of me doing a, a stand-up album because I never have, right? Uh, and one of the executives that I know at Sirius XM, Ben Miner, who's also a very talented stand-up comedian, he's always on me about, um, you got to get an album. You got to do an album so we can, you know, have more stuff of yours to play. So that's, that'll probably be in the works at some point. I like the idea of doing an album because to me, I grew up at a time when comedy albums were a real thing. You know, they were, you put the little vinyl on and you listen to George Garland or whatever, you know, so I'm a big fan of the uh, comedy album and it's a, it would be a nice thing to attach to my legacy to mix into the legacy. I love it. The idea of a, a vinyl, especially do a vinyl pressing. Yeah, I might look into that. I, I cause I, I, I'm with you. I'm maybe not of the age of the vinyl, but I was the CD. And when I stumbled across George Carlin, um, from around 16, uh, he was obviously at the latter half of his career, but he changed my world when I when I heard um, George Carlin, and uh, that that set my life on a different path. Um, so huge has been huge. It's been big for you, number one bestseller. Um, has there been any part of the writing process that you found particularly daunting? I mean, just the notion of sitting down and getting into it was kind of daunting. I, I had, you know, writing a novel was on my radar for a long time since I was a little kid. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate. I, I've been able to write a lot of the things that I set down to write. When I was little, I made a list of all the things I want to write professionally when I grow up. And I've been fortunate. I've been able to do most of those. But novel was, you know, that's a, that's a big mountain. Um, so the idea of sitting down and starting it was kind of daunting. But when we went into lockdown, you know, and we couldn't go anywhere or do anything, I thought, well, I'm out of excuses now. This is, I got to get it done now. So I sat down, began the process, but I soon learned that I loved it. Um, it was, it's very different from writing scripts, which I've been doing for, you know, pretty much exclusively for two and a half decades. Um, and it, it, writing long form prose was very sort of freeing to me. And I absolutely loved the process. 
when it came to uh, to your point, you've been writing for scripts, but before that, you were a stand-up comedian, you were a road comic. Did you find yourself writing familiar sentences? Did you find yourself maybe even leaning on? This is a premise that has worked in the past. I can I can kind of slot it in here. Did, was there any overlap in that? I think mainly the overlap is in structure. I tend to break down any story into sort of four equal chunks, four acts, for lack of a better term. Um, and and I, I use that same sort of framework. It helps me structure, you know, I like to have something that I'm writing to. So I tend to break my stories down into four acts, and then I break each of those into three acts. So, you, so each act has kind of a beginning, middle, and end. And it just sort of makes 12 points that you're writing to. And, um, you know, I wrote, I wrote to one of those points every week doing the, the novel. So I was done the, the first draft of the manuscript in 12 weeks. So it's a nice structured way. And I do that no matter if I'm writing a comic book or a, a TV script or a feature film or now a novel, I kind of feel like any story can be well told in this sort of structured format. Uh, and it's it's a loosely enough structured format that it allows for a ton of individual creativity with, within each of those segments. So that was sort of the only overlap. And, and the fact that Huge takes place in the world of comedy, it follows three comedians on the road, and it takes place in the 90s. You know, in 1994, when the story takes place, that was really when I was doing nothing but stand-up. I wasn't really doing much in the way of TV. Um, my world was just, you know, on the road doing stand-up. So I, I pulled a lot from that. I relied on my memories of being on the road in the 90s um, to sort of lend some authenticity to the to the book. You, you mentioned um, you take the same format, whether you're writing script whatever what have you um has this been optioned for a movie yet it has not i'm certainly open to the idea um there have been uh calls inquiring about has anybody optioned this yet <laughs> yeah, i'm like so, i'm wondering so we'll we'll see looking for the scoop <laughs> but i like the idea i i very much and i think it lends itself to uh, a movie or perhaps a limited tv series yeah. But um, I also like the idea of not doing it myself. I think because I have a TV and film production company, I think a lot of people assume that my next step would be to kind of try and turn this into a movie myself. But I, I very much like the idea of, you know, selling the rights to somebody who really does this genre well. Um, somebody, you know, a director who really knows what they're doing when it comes to a dark, gritty thriller a screenwriter who really knows how to convert a novel into a, a, a script for film. Um, and yeah, and just sit back, Stephen King style, sit back, watch the film with everybody else, having written the original source material. I like that idea. I'm a big fan of like seeing what other creative people bring to the table. It's one of the things that I enjoyed most about getting into TV and film. It's such a team sport and you have to rely on other people's talents everybody pulling in the same direction, but bringing their own individual talents to the table and seeing what each of them can do and each, what each of them can bring. I've always loved that. And um, 
I like the idea of doing that with huge, just sitting down in the theater and watching it with everybody else. I like that idea. And being like surprised by the, the, the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing what they left out, what they put in, what they felt they had to change. You know, I kind of like that idea. You know, I read a quote by Elmore Leonard um, of Get Shorty and, and those kind of things who wrote the original novels. And he said kind of a similar thing in that, you know, I think people panned the movies at the time, especially um, the sequel. And I, he was like, I don't have anything to do with it. I sell the rights and I'm done. Hands off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Walk away. Yeah. And also the other nice thing is that even if they butcher the movie, the original source material doesn't get damaged. No. It's like this, the... What I wanted to bring into the world, I brought into the world and it stays in the world no matter what else happens. So that can't be damaged. So the only thing that could, you know, it's all upside as far as I'm concerned. Because what people are going to say, that's not as good as the book. You got to read the book. Yeah, that's, I I wouldn't (laughs) argue with anybody who said that. I'd be like, yeah, you know, you make a good point. Got to get that third print going because it's just entered its second publication, correct? Second yeah, the day it the the book was published October third, and October fourth they ordered uh, a second print run because of uh, high volume demand. So that's pretty encouraging. Word of mouth, it's getting out there. Um, in your Substack, which is a must subscribe to, you you, you did tease second novels already in the works. Has been for months. You said, yeah, same genre. Yeah, same genre. Like in turn, it's a dark psychological thriller. Um, I think it's a you know it's a real sort of. I love a page turner. I love a book that just that you feel that sort of hauls you along. And I feel like that's what huge does to some degree. And I think this new book sure. that I'm writing maybe even does it more so. Um, you know, if, if I do it right, it has the potential to be that. If I execute it well, it should be a real page turning story, which what i love to read um and but yeah it's again it's a it's on the darker side of things but with i think there will always be a bit of humor ingrained like with huge it you know it is a it is gritty and edgy and violent um but because it's comedians (laughs) comedians have a tendency the darker and scarier things get the more prone they are to make a joke and so I, i wanted to capture that in the book so as dark and as scary as it gets, it's not above them making you know snippy little glib comments. Well, it's a it's a defense mechanism in real it life yeah. that comes through on the page one hundred percent. Is there something to the? I mean, now yourself included, comedians taking a darker turn in general with a lot of their content. Bill Hader recently with Barry, uh, of course, the all the movies that are coming out from. Uh, Oh man, it's either Key or Peel. One of them, Jordan I can't Peele. remember. Jordan Peel, all the darker movies he's been doing. Is there something to comedians exploring that part of their brain a little bit? I think so. I mean, there, you know, I've uh, I, I've said like when I first started talking to publishers about Huge, you know, it was naturally it was a point that I, you know, I've had a thirty-five year career in comedy so far, and um, now suddenly I'm doing this. <laughs> Um, but it's, they're not so distant cousins, you know, comedy and terror really sprout from the same seed. You know, it's two different ways to deal with something that is, um, unnatural, unusual, and weird. Um, you can, you can try to get a laugh with it, 
or it, it can bring terror, you know? And so the unknown naturally leads to surprise and with comedy and with horror, surprise is a big part of that. So structurally, you know, at, at its DNA core, comedy and terror are not so far apart, really. You, it's a similar skill set. It's just you, you're going for two different specific outcomes, but you're kind of using the same tools to get there. So it's, so it's not a surprise to me. It's an emotional reaction that's yeah. almost unsolicited, whether it's a, a Yelp or that laugh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, comedy is very bare bones. You know, comedy, the, the, the difference I would say between comedy and almost everything else is that comedy doesn't, can't really rely on other things, you know. You, you can't really rely on lighting to improve your comedy or music to improve the comedy. It's, but with, with drama, you can, you know, with drama, you can like really help create tension with a certain score. Um, you know, lighting affects the mood. Comedy is very bare assed, you know, it's just got to work on its own or it doesn't. And, and the more you put into it, actually the more it gets in the way. So it's almost like the more stark comedy is the better. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I think comedy and horror are two sides of the same coin. Is there anybody you want to write with? Is there is there somebody? Because uh, 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 I'm seeing it more and more. Novelists are pairing up, putting out novels together. Is there anybody you've considered writing with? No, no. It's All right. A interesting notion. <laughs> I've never. Uh, uh, I enjoyed the process so much. I just want to do it all myself. I guess if I was going to, like, I would pick somebody that I really, um, like, if I could just call my shot, it would be somebody that I really enjoy reading. Because, like, know, I've seen Patterson doing it recently. Patterson did a novel with uh, Dolly Parton. He did one with uh, the Bill Clinton. Like, if Patterson called you up said, Brett, let's do it. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think no. I would be that... <laughs> But if it was, you know, like Linwood Barkley, who I read a lot and, and really, you know, there's a guy who knows what he's doing. And Sherry LaPena, somebody I read a lot. Or Belinda Bauer, who's maybe maybe my favorite novelist in the thriller genre. Um, but I, I don't know. I like the idea of just, I like the solitary nature of writing a novel. I don't know that I would enjoy the process of doing it with somebody else. Interesting. Uh, look, I, I asked for your time today and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, truly, uh, the, the novel is huge. It kept showing up on the screen, kept flashing. I'm not sure what was happening on the back end, there, but it kept flashing. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually have control of the system. I kept, Oh, nice. It up there. <laughs> I've hacked your system. Oh no. The things you will find. Um, <laughs> uh Oh, please keep it to yourself. Um, Brent, but thank you so much for your time today. I truly appreciate it. And uh, I wish you nothing but success in the future. Thanks very much. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Take care. Well, that was something, wasn't it? <laughs> um, my, my, my biggest thanks, my, my most grateful thanks to Brent, Butt for giving me um, 20 minutes of his time or whatever it was today. Uh, I really cannot thank him enough. And I, 
he here's what I wanted to talk about right off the top, but I didn't want to bore you with this story um, up front. So when I say this was a bucket list type item, I truly mean that. Um, before I started to record with Brent, I, I'd been rehearsing for like 24 hours, maybe more, about how I was going to tell him I'm a big fan without sounding like a weirdo. So before we started to record, I said, look, I know it might not be the most professional thing in the world, but I'm a really big fan. I have been since before Corner Gas when I used to watch you do your, uh, when I used to watch stand up on Just for Laughs. And um, in a lot of ways, you help influence me and inspire me to lead me down a road of comedy. And um, I, I didn't get into all details, I kind of left it at that. But the truth is, <laughs> my fandom of him goes so far beyond uh, him influencing me. So uh, I will say that uh, obviously massive and early adapter of Corner Gas. Um, my first big road trip with my then girlfriend, now wife, was to Saskatchewan to visit the set of Corner Gas. And we had some harrowing adventures to get there. So I say that because that was kind of a, that was one of the first times when I think we both realized hey, we can make this work long-term because of some of the stuff we did and seen together on that road trip. Um, fast forward a few years. Um, his movie, No Clue, comes out. And I ended up winning a uh, signed copy of the DVD. And um, at one point in time when I was doing stand-up, I, I, he, he followed me on Twitter before I became that nerd dad, um, my previous version of myself, which I think I've since deleted, but he followed me there. And one day I was kind of venting on Twitter about how I wasn't sure if I should be taking stage time from open micers, um, who are really trying to grind away doing stand up. And I was kind of half and half out at the time. And he commented, uh, words of wisdom saying like, you're not stealing time from anyone, you know, make sure you go get it do what you need to do. It was, it was really nice. Um, and then of course, when the corner gas movie came out, I, I contributed, I made sure that my name was in the credits. So if you look at the corner gas movie credits, I'm one of the contributors. I'm one of the Kickstarter campaign versions of that, where I got my name in the credits. Um, I saw corner gas live when it came to Toronto. I saw corner gas animated live when it came to Toronto. <laughs> uh, this, I mean, needless to say, all that being said, I've got a bunch of merch. I've got uh, I've got corner gas things from the set. Like I've got, I've got a real connection to this person, um, just in my head. And I, I, I think there's a Canadian, the Canadiana to it. There's a, a a friendliness to it. And that question I asked him, but what's it like to feel like everybody's neighbor? That's the way it feels. Um, but I think his style of comedy, it's quick witted. It's deadpan. It's, it's just right in my wheelhouse. And to see someone who, um, let's be honest, kind of resembles me, uh, who I kind of look like in some ways, uh, have the success he's had and do the things he's done. There's a reason why I've been kind of drawn to that. Um, and I'm going to put brittle star in the same 
boat. I'm I'm really envious of Brittle Star and uh, and the things he's able to do and come up with. So uh, <laughs> I, all of that is super long winded to say I had to calm my nerves um, before today's conversation. I think I did okay. I missed, I was looking at my notes afterwards. I missed one question. There was one question I wanted to ask him on camera. I didn't get to it. Not a big deal. It was kind of a joke question. I uh, just wanted to see if I can get a reaction. All the other questions I wanted to ask, I got asked. And um, I just am thankful for his time and that opportunity. They say don't meet your heroes, but fuck that noise. Meet them. Because at least you know whether or not they're cool or not. And Brent Butt was certainly cool. Um, also want to add real quick, this is like the longest outro ever, but I uh, also want to add real quick. I know the shows have been sporadic the last couple weeks and that is because my calendar has been sporadic. My schedule at home has been nuts. You can see I got a new background here. Um, uh, this will probably be the new standard background for the foreseeable future. Things are starting to settle down around my life and uh, I will be able to get back to more regular weekly shows, whether it's with a guest or a solo show. All depends on whether I can get the guest. Um, but I will ride the high of Brent Butt for a little while. But <laughs> uh, I think I got confirmation that I got a guest lined up for next week. So thanks for tuning in. We shouldn't be saying that anymore because you didn't tune in anything. You chose to be here. You dial. You, you you went to you went to Spotify or Amazon or Google or wherever you get your podcasts, and you found me and you clicked it, or you went to my website that nerddad.ca, all new and revamped. Uh, you're on my Substack. You're on my Twitter. You're on my Instagram. You're on my Facebook. You're on my YouTube. Whoo! What did I forget? Threads. I'm on Threads. That's a thing. Um, so whatever, however you tuned into this, thank you. I see you. I appreciate you. I, I cannot thank you enough. And um, shout out to Brent Butts manager for making this all happen for me. Appreciate it. Be well. Be safe. Thanks for listening. Damn. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.